0: This is The Law School Show. Discovering the person behind the resume. Bringing you their stories and their tips on how to succeed in your legal career. Catch it all here, right now, on The Law School Show. Welcome to another episode of The Law School Show. My name is Alexis Shamis, a first-year law student at UOttawa. Today I'm in Toronto, and I'm pleased to have the opportunity to introduce our guest speaker, Jim Robson, an associate in the Competition, Antitrust, and Foreign Investment Group at Blake's, a full-service business law firm. Jim attended law school at the University of Toronto Faculty of Law. Jim is located in Blake's Toronto office and has worked on numerous high-profile cases, including Pembina Pipeline's $9.7 billion acquisition of Verison, Agrium's $36 billion merger of equals with Potash Core, and Bass Pro Group's $5.5 billion acquisition of Cabela's, which I'll be discussing in more detail on the show today. Jim, thank you so much for joining the law school show today. Thanks, Josh, for having me. Before we jump a little bit into competition law, I want to hear a little bit about yourself. What's your background in terms of schooling, professional work, and what inspired you to pursue law?
1: Well, I started out at the University of Toronto. I studied international relations. So that was a bit of a polysty, some economics, mainly history. And I went to law school right after undergrad. I think the reason why is because I thought about what I like doing. And for me, that was writing and research and advocacy. From what I knew about law school, that was what you did and what you did after you graduated and started working. So I went to UT for law school and I enjoyed it. I had a first year summer job at the National Hockey League Players Association where I worked in the arbitration division and hockey is an interest of mine, so I got to practice law in a way that married two interests of mine, law and, and hockey, so I had a great time there. And then in my second year summer of law school, I started working for Blake's, which is where I'm at right now, and it wasn't until articling that I got interested in competition law and ended up being hired back into Blake's as an associate in the in the competition law group.
0: Interesting, and great that after going to U of T, you stayed in the city, almost like here in Toronto.
1: Yeah, I went to high school downtown, I went to undergrad a block away from my oh. high school, and then law school another block away from that. I did an exchange, so I have been outside of the city over the past nice. 10 years or so.
0: Where did you do exchange?
1: I went to uh, Hong Kong for exchange. Oh, amazing. So I spent four months there in my, in my third year of law school.
0: Do you recommend students do exchange during their time at law school?
1: I had an amazing experience there. I think it's, it's a bit of a tough call because you're only there for three years and it is your career ahead of you. And it, I had such a good time at law school. You know that you miss out on things when you leave and go somewhere else for a period of time. Fair. I, On the other hand, uh, I don't think you can pass up the opportunity to, to spend some time abroad, especially if, like me, you'd only been in really one city <laughs> up until that point. So it was, for me, well worthwhile. I think probably for most people, too.
0: That's great to know because I'm considering doing exchange in third years, so it's good to hear mm-hmm. a good feedback on that. In terms of competition law, curious to hear what led you to practice competition law in particular and what you find most interesting about this area of law.
1: For sure. Well, I think... First off, at a high level, the purpose of competition law is to protect and enhance competition in the marketplace. And the theory behind that is if you have a competitive market with lots of companies all pursuing the same customers, the same suppliers, you're going to end up with A lot of choice for consumers, low prices, a lot of innovation. With that background, I myself didn't know any of that when I started in law school. I ended up going to Blake's and and was focused primarily on uh, the general corporate law group. And then it wasn't until my final rotation in Blake's, we have both in summer and during articling, students rotate through different groups. Right. And it wasn't until my final rotation of articling when I ended up going to the competition law group. And the head of our student program actually suggested it as a group that she thought I'd be interested in. It's a fast-paced group, a lot of interesting deals. She suggested it, and I took a shot. And within a month, I thought it was definitely the group for me. What I think what drew me to it, there were a few things. I mean, first, I think it's, it's a group where the issues are very relevant to society at large. For example, I worked on a deal with, uh, as you mentioned, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's. And that's a deal that I think a lot of people were interested in because it's, I mean, you all you have to do is look on the street. and So many people wear those Bass Pro trucker hats. It's, <laughs> it was an interesting deal to be on. And, and the deals are all like that because the government tends to focus in their enforcement on deals that the public is aware of. So I think, I think that was very appealing to me. And I think finally, it was a group where I got to use... Use the skills that I mentioned earlier as being things that I really wanted to use. A lot of persuasive writing on the competition group, a lot of advocacy, a lot of research, both legal and into the actual business of the client you're working for and the business of the competitors that your client competes with in the marketplace.
0: Yeah, and very interesting area of law seen as it virtually impacts every sector in the marketplace. So that's sort of a unique facet of competition law as well. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And if you look at the deals that competition bureaus engaged with over the past couple of years, they've been involved in telecom, uh, which, of course, everybody now has a cell phone. They get their internet service from uh, from a telecom company. The Bureau's focused quite a bit on fertilizer, which, I mean, people aren't generally as aware of it, but of course, everybody eats food, so it affects everybody. Yeah. And the Bureau is, is very engaged in issues surrounding big data. So the Bureau does follow the, the industries that are most important at the time, and of course, the as a practitioner, that's when the Bureau engages in something, it's, there will be a lot of work there. So I started in the group about a year and a half ago, and I've had interesting deals throughout.
0: And it's great that you raised the Competition Bureau, because uh, I was interested to get a sense of what a standard Competition Bureau review would look like from your perspective as a lawyer representing one of the parties to the merger. Could you talk a little bit about that for our listeners?
1: What well, the deal is big enough. You will put a notification into the competition bureau saying, you know, we want to do this deal. Company X and Y want to merge. Put in some advocacy around why the deal won't raise an issue, a competitive issue. And there are tons of arguments you can use. You can say there are lots of competitors in the marketplace. Uh, you can say that barriers to entry are, are low, so competitors can enter any time. You can say that there are necessarily a lot of competitors, but the competition is very intense. So at that stage, you're you're telling the government, this is the deal and this is the context. The next stage is the Bureau gets, they start to look at the deal. They dig in a little bit. They look at the information you've given and they decide whether or not they think there's a potential issue there. And if there is, then uh, they can come forward and and ask you questions. You being the lawyers in the deal and such as, you know, can you give us a bit more context about the industry, about your customers, for example. And the lawyers will go back, talk to the clients, come up with answers, You're, you're trying to help out the Bureau to understand what's going on, the Bureau takes a look at your answers and if they still think there might be an issue, they ask for what's called a supplementary information request, which is just asking for as much detail as they think could be relevant to the transaction. And at that stage you're really digging down and the two sides are getting really deep into the issues, like what are the barriers to entry, how many competitors are there, and trying to anticipate what the what the competitive landscape would look like after the deal's over. And the companies legally can merge after a certain point, but generally not done until the competition bureau is at a point where they're comfortable with the deal and they allow the deal to go through.
0: So I can imagine the Supplementary information requests could be quite daunting if the Competition Bureau raises multiple different uh, issues or concerns. It could be a, quite quite a lengthy process um, as a lawyer on the other end.
1: It definitely is. And one thing you always have to be cognizant of when you're practicing is that it is a lot of work for your client. And it's, it's important as a lawyer to be very clear to the client about what's required. Mm-hmm. You're, you don't want to overburden them. And you work with the Competition Bureau quite a bit to make sure that the requests are, are phrased in a way that's answerable for your client. If, if the Bureau's asked a question that, for whatever reason, doesn't, it, it seems like it would be over broad, especially for what the Bureau's looking for. Like, for example, if the Bureau asked a question about intellectual property, and after talking with their client, you realize intellectual property isn't really a big concern, you can talk to the Bureau and try to narrow the scope of the, okay. of the request. So, it is, it is a lot of work. The, the course of course, the Bureau is a very important task, and they have to get this information, or lots of it, to be informed to make the decision. But, uh, yeah, as a lawyer, it's, it's your job to make sure the Bureau gets what it needs, but also make sure that you work as efficiently as possible to lessen the burden on the client.
0: And tell me a little bit about what it's like as a junior associate at Blake's in terms of typical tasks and responsibilities that you would be assigned to on a file. I'm sure my cohort, as well as other law students, would be really interested to hear about.
1: Well, I think um, it it changes as as you progress. So I only started out about a year and a half ago, but... When you're an associate on the file, it, your biggest responsibility is keeping on top of everything, making sure that if you're responding to requests for information, that you're, you're the one who's making sure that everybody's on, on track. But you're also responsible for doing, and I think this is the most interesting part, you're responsible for doing the first draft of all the advocacy that you give to the Competition Bureau. So when I was on a deal recently where it was a luggage manufacturer was buying another luggage manufacturer. And so in order to, to write the write a piece of advocacy to submit to the Bureau. I had to have a good handle on all the luggage manufacturers in Canada. So I went to the Bay in the Eden Centre and I took a look at all the luggage brands and wrote them all down and then took them all back to uh, my office and just figured out, okay, who owns who, how many competitors are there actually... And for the next, to this day, actually, I still, when I walk down the street and I see someone wheeling a piece of luggage, I'll take a look and it's, okay, what's that brand? Did I, did I think of it? You
0: know the industry inside and out now. No. Yes,
1: exactly. And you, and you learn all the different types of luggage. Like There's hard side and there's soft side and there's multiple compartments and all could be useful to make an argument to the Bureau.
0: It's a lot of responsibility for a junior associate at um, such a large law firm as well. Do you have interaction with clients directly? Or are you mostly dealing with Um, partners at your law firm as more of a junior associate on a file? It definitely depends
1: on the type of file you're working on. So on a bigger deal uh, where the the bureau seems to be worried a bit about the competition implications, such as a deal deal where a supplementary information request is issued, that tends to be the partners. If you're on a deal that's a little bit less complex, um, some real estate transactions tend to be like that or private equity deals, then you end up getting a lot more responsibility as a junior associate and kind of the moment when I when I thought that I'd really was starting to get a handle on on this area of law was when it was on a real estate deal and the client asked me to just give an overview of the process and some of the issues that might arise and it was just me on the phone and I was able to communicate to them and make sure that I was being clear about the what would arise and next steps and after the call was over I gave myself a bit of packing because I thought I was was able to do a good job and just updated the partner later and said, okay, this is the information I gave and... The clients informed on, on the, what the process will be. So it, it does depend on the deal, and but the more senior you get, the more client interaction you get, the more you're right. giving advice directly to the client, and of course there's always partner supervision, and you do learn so much about client interaction from the partners because they've been doing it for so long, they're they're so familiar with the client. But um, yeah, no, I would say normally you're you're with a partner on the calls, but if it's a, if it's an issue that that doesn't necessarily need to be escalated to the partner, it's at least not right away, you can these associates can handle things.
0: And what What is it like working with lawyers outside of Blake's, whether it be, uh, say, U.S. Coordinating Council or lawyers for the other party in the merger? What are some common challenges that you face when dealing with lawyers in other jurisdictions or lawyers who are working towards the same goal as your client but are representing a different party?
1: I think generally it's interesting how the competition bar is not that large, and you tend to see the same faces over and over again. And actually, my one of my best friends from high school is a competition lawyer at, at another firm in Toronto, and I've seen him across the table oh, on, on a few deals. That's
0: awesome.
1: Uh, but he so it's, but it's all very of course you're, you're representing different clients and you're acting for that client's interests. but I in general everything is very is very professional and friendly. and I think one of the things about competition law that is maybe different than in other areas is at this stage where the competition lawyers are engaged and you're working with the other side, a lot of that work is after the deal' has been signed and you're working with the other side to get approval from the competition Bureau. So, you're still working for different clients, but your objective is to get the deal cleared. Right. So, it turns out to be very collaborative...
0: Both and, have the same goals at the end of the day. So.
1: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, diff- different interests, but you're trying to get that clearance, and you're both working together. Um. So it's So in that sense, it's actually a very. It's a very non-confrontational, very amicable, very collaborative process working with the other side. So and also it's to your question about other jurisdictions, competition deals tend to be international deals. Like the Bass Pro Shops, Cabela's deal was they have many more stores in the U.S. than they do in Canada, and we worked very closely with counsel in the U.S. And you want to make sure that the timelines are aligned, you want to make sure that you're being consistent uh, in terms of the arguments you're putting forward, because the agencies in Canada and the US, the competition regulators, tend to communicate quite a bit. So it's very important to make sure that if you you and your colleagues um, working in a different jurisdiction are both communicating on an issue, for example, if you talk about barriers to entry, you want to make sure that you have the same arguments because you want to make sure you're consistent with the message you're giving across.
0: Maybe on that note, we can dive a little bit deeper into uh, some of the casework that you would be assigned to. And a topic that I consider to be a really exciting component of competition law is mergers, Talk a little bit about your experience working on the Bass Pro Group's 5.5 billion dollar acquisition of Cabela's, from a legal perspective, such as any anti-competitive effects or compliance issues that your team at Blake's assessed.
1: Well, that was that was a very interesting transaction I worked on a little while ago now, but it was I mean, and the it, the deal was approved with with no remedies, so it was. We were able to communicate to the bureau that this is a, this is a deal where even though the two stores there there are some there are many similarities between them. For example, if you if any of your listeners are are hunters or are fishermen or women, I'm sure or we have a few out there, campers, yeah, they've likely gone to one or both stores. And they both have the same like log cabin facade, and they both have huge selections of of hunting equipment and apparel and fishing gear and apparel. I think the, the overall message in that deal. And there's actually a very interesting write-up of the process, the antitrust process in the US, which which potentially a, a link might go up to that on the Law School Show website. But um, the overall message for this transaction was that the outdoor sports and recreation gear and apparel industry is very competitive. And you have stores like, you have lots of bricks and mortar stores that sell this kind of gear, like mom and pop shops or slightly bigger. You have the Walmarts, you have you have Costco, you have an e-commerce, is everyone who's just done their Christmas shopping knows, it's, it's so easy to get gear and, and apparel online.
0: And all competing for low prices as well. So.
1: Exactly. So it's, it's a very healthy, competitive industry. And I think uh, as much as Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's are iconic brands, and I think many people recognize the logos and, and might not for a smaller store, it's just if when you start to take a look, they're hunting and fishing gear and camping gear stores everywhere. And I think that was that was probably the thrust of the argument.
0: And we'll be sure to include the link on the law school show as well that Jim was referring to. And I also wanted to discuss the competition regulatory body here in Canada with you briefly. On Blake's website, it mentioned that in recent years, competition law has undergone rapid changes where the Competition Bureau is now displaying aggressive enforcement powers when it comes to scrutinizing merger reviews and competitive activities. I wanted to hear what your thoughts are on this and whether you think that the Competition Bureau has in fact been effective recently in promoting healthy competition and as well as innovation in the Canadian marketplace.
1: Well, the Competition Bureau is I've now yeah I've, I've been interacting with them for about a year and a half. Now I'm always impressed by they're very professional, that they have a very important mandate and they take it very seriously, and they do do their best to make sure that they need information to evaluate the deal that you're working on. But they realize that it's that it is a burden on on the clients we represent and they try to make it so they ask for just what they need and try not to overreach. So I'm always impressed by the by how professional and and how thorough, but not not over they are in their approach. So I think people should be generally in society should be happy about the way the competition bureau is enforcing competition law is. and working with them is. Of course, we disagree with them on <laughs> on many files, and it takes a long time before those issues are, are sorted out sometimes. But I think working with the Competition Bureau, I'm, all, I'm, in, I'm impressed constantly by by the job they do. And I, I kind of mentioned this here in the context of working with lawyers again and again on other sides, but you do see the Competition Bureau and the same people on different files. So that helps to keep the relationship healthy and friendly and collaborative. And, and you're, you're, trying to, you're trying to help the Competition Bureau come to a complete picture of what an industry looks like. So it's whether that's getting them all the information they need about all the luggage manufacturers that are out there, or whether it's talking about fertilizer and where it comes from and how many competitors there are for that. So I have a lot of respect for the, for the Competition Bureau for sure.
0: And they always seem to be up to date on emerging issues. Like you had mentioned that Mm -hmm. they have a real focus on big data currently. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's great to see that with, the growing technology landscape. Um, The Competition Bureau seems to be up-to-date with Mm -hmm. some of the issues that come along with that, Uh, and they'll need to remain open to new partnerships that promote uh, innovative products and could lead to more efficient uh, production techniques, for instance, as well. Mm -hmm. So that seems to be a good attribute of a Competition Bureau in Canada.
1: Yeah, the the Bureau does. They do stay up-to-date on what's happening, and I think they are very aware of what the what the emerging issues are in the Canadian landscape. So if, so they, they do have a very important task. They take it very seriously, and, and they yes, I, and I think they do they do a good job.
0: Now onto some more uh, personal questions related to law school, because I'm sure our listeners are eager to hear about some of these questions. As a fairly recent law graduate from the University of Toronto, I'm curious to hear about your experience with uh, on-campus interviews. You mentioned that you did a summer student position with Blake's. So interested to hear about that. Also, how you prepped in advance for these interviews, and what you found to be the most unnerving part about an interview with a law firm.
1: Well, it, it, it's all a bit unnerving, and it's it's so the whole process so intense imagine. and fast paced, and you're meeting so many people. But the law firms all do a great job of trying to put you at ease and they really they do want to learn about you that's they're trying to find out if you're a good fit you're trying to find out if they're a good fit so it's definitely keeping your your focus in the big picture is is helpful to make sure that the process is as few stressors as possible i think probably the the part of the process that I wasn't really sure of or or wasn't really aware of until, or or should have been more aware of um, at the time, was that the firm as a whole, I think firms do have culture, like there is a a firm culture that runs throughout firm, but when you start practicing, it becomes much more about the specific practice group you're in. So the competition group at Blake's has, I think, a distinct culture even within the firm, and I think the group is recognized as being a very highly expert group, many very, very very well-known and respected lawyers, yeah. and the group has a lot of pride with their reputation, and they, they like to maintain it, and they, they hold themselves to a very high standard. It's, uh, it's a smaller group relative to the bigger, more general corporate law practice, for example. So, but there's a lot of collaboration. You see a lot of emails going out to the for, to the entire group asking if, if anyone's done a particular type of deal or if any particular issue has been handled before. And at Blake's, it's it's nice to have that because it's, it's a larger competition group compared to some of the other firms.
0: You're it's, not starting from scratch. You can always pull from best practices.
1: Exactly. And that's that really is the beauty of it. Whenever I work with a lawyer at Blake's, and whether it's a partner or it's a more senior associate, there are actually some more junior associates myself now, though that wasn't the case until recently, but it's It's nice to uh, you. You always see ways of doing things that you can improve on, and you learn from people you work with. And j- just to bring this all back to the uh, the interview process, if I was much, if I was more focused on the groups that the interviewers were a part of at their firm, okay, I think I think that would have served me very well in the process.
0: That's good advice, and I think that's an interesting component of working for a full service law firm is that you even have the option to rotate through different groups mm-hmm. to see perhaps what group you mesh with really well or what area of law you you find yourself drawn to. Mm-hmm. Do you, d- did you find that that was a, a really great aspect of working for Blake's and working for a full-service law firm?
1: Yeah, I, so I joined Blake's back as a summer student in 2014. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, I've been just impressed by the way the firm helps students out and tries to make sure that they find the spot that's best for them. And I'm a prime example of the firm helping somebody out because originally I, I was focused in the general corporate group. And then it wasn't until my last rotation of articling that the, that the student director said, you know, Jimmy, you, you should give competition law a shot. <laughs> and it, very quickly, I realized it was a spot for me. And and so now, looking back at it now, I'm so grateful to the student director for, for kind of recognizing that it might be a good fit. And yeah,
0: recognizing your, your strengths mm, as well.
1: Yeah, the, and the, the director, uh, she's still in the position, uh, and she's done that for many students, and able, oh, wow. to, able to pinpoint what a group that might be a good fit, and then give them a bit of a nudge in that direction. And at least with me, I think she was, right, she was dead on, so I'm very grateful to her for that.
0: And lastly, before I let you go... Any advice for first-year law students in particular? And Tell me something that your first-year self wish that you'd known or wish that you'd done differently.
1: I, I'm not sure that I have anything too earth-shaking to say on this, but I, I assume that many of your listeners have heard this before, but it really is important to make sure that as engaging as it is to, to study law and learn about what your career is going to be like in the future, but it really is important to make sure that you maintain your interests outside of law. And a few reasons for that, I think, just very narrowly off the bat, it helps <laughs> with your interviews when uh, someone asks you, you know, can you tell us a bit about yourself outside of law, it's helpful to be able to say, you know, I wasn't just studying in my yeah, first year. Yeah, right? something
0: outside of studying.
1: Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so it, I ended up doing a lot of traveling after my, uh, I was I was working actually, but I, was, I worked for a tour company and I would take oh, wow. high school kids on tours of Europe and South America and the studying law and eventually working in law can be all-consuming, and I think it's, it's important to make sure you have that balance of doing activities outside and to make sure that you, you maintain those interests, even when things get intense and during exams or uh, if you're working on a big file.
0: Yeah, uh, it's really easy to get extremely consumed into the law school bubble. And I know myself uh, as well as my a lot of my friends in school as well have experienced that. So I think it's really great advice to to keep in mind that no, there's still time and uh, space to to hold on to your interests outside of just a school setting. So it's, it's nice to hear from uh, someone who's been through it as well.
1: It's a, it, is a, it is a tough balance to strike, but it's, I think it's doable. And, if, it's, and if, if you can do it, I think it's, it serves you very well.
0: Well, that about wraps up our episode for today. Thank you so much, Jim, for joining the show and providing us with a fascinating view into the world of competition law.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: You've just been listening to The Law School Show. You can find all our episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, or at our website at thelawschoolshow.com. If you liked what you heard, like us again on Facebook and get the latest updates from The Law School Show. Career Advancing Advice, right to your earbuds.